Welcome to the Housewife of Horrors podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the Housewife of Horrors. I am Regina and I am here with my ever faithful companion Evil from 3B Video. Say hello, Evil. Are we getting paid for this yet? No, and even if we did, it would only be pennies on the dollar. I mean, I'll take it. That's why I'm here. Pennies don't even cover tax anymore. Uh, but it, but everyone wants a penny for your thoughts. But you got to put your two cents in. That doesn't sound like a very good investment. But if you don't mind paying to vent those thoughts, then I guess it's a good investment. See? All right, moving on. Today, we are going to discuss one of my favorite cases, one of Kansas City's oldest unsolved mysteries and it is the case of roland t owen or artemis ogletree at the and the murder at the president hotel this this is one of those things that uh, i think i pushed you into like you should find a find a means to tell these tales because you were looking researching stuff for your books that you were doing and you came across this and it was just like you got some interesting stories on things that you'd can't put into your your books what if you uh just found a way to talk about these things what if you did a podcast and you then you could actually you know utilize it so it's like oh we finally get to one of the pillars of of this uh this show well um and also i kind of get involved in this mystery (laughs) as you tend to do later on in the because this story takes place in 1935 i don't get involved until 2018 you weren't involved in 1935 (laughs) i can't say that i was so the time was january 2nd 1935 the place kansas city missouri at 1.20 p.m., Roland T. Owen, described as a 20 to 35-year-old man, brown hair, vis- visible scar on his scalp above his ear, and he had a cauliflower ear, and he was also described as very nicely dressed. Sounds like a wrestler. He ends up checking into the President Hotel in downtown Kansas City. Upon check-in, he gave a Los Angeles address, and like I said, he checked in under the name of Roland T. Owen. Um, He had no bags or suitcases. He paid for only one night, and he was given the keys to room 1046. So this is kind of where the story starts taking off obviously. So Randolph Probst, which is a bellboy, he was a bellboy who worked at the president at the time, and he assisted Roland to his room. Uh, He didn't really help with any bags because I said he didn't have any, but he took him up to the... What did he do then? Just walk him to the room? Yeah, you know how a bellboy kind of does, minus the bag part. They kind of, you know, show you, oh, this is the master suite. Here's the bathroom. If you need anything, give us a jingle, blah, blah, blah. So (laughs) They could have told all that shit at the desk. I was like, that's the most useless use use of the bellboy. Like, he's not even carrying anything. Well, he actually was traveling with some stuff, but it wasn't enough to be carried. He was traveling with a tube of toothpaste, (laughs) a comb, and a brush. But no toothbrush. 
Uh, I don't know if hotels back then had toothbrushes, but at least he had minty fresh breath. <laughs> Just eating it in the room. <laughs> right. So another employee at the president was the maid, Mary Soapdick. S-O-P-T-I-C. I know it sounds like soap dick, but it's soap tick. Uh, I'm fighting the impulse to not just rolling, 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 keep rolling, 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 T. Owens. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. You just move on. I'm just going to continue. Well, Roland allowed her to clean the room, but he was in the room. After she was done, which I imagine that's got to be weird. He's just sitting there eating the toothpaste watching her. We don't know if he was eating toothpaste, but he was definitely in the room with her. In my vision, he is. When she was done, he asked her not to lock the door on the way out and that he was expecting a friend that would, quote, be there soon. So he kept the room fairly dark, she said. The shades and the curtains were pulled, and he only had one small light on, and it was a little desk lamp, and it was very dim. Um, Mary wasn't the only employee to say that about the dimly lit room. So the dimly lit room is going to be kind of a theme through this. Hmm. So, um, eventually she was questioned by police. Uh, he isn't dead at this point. Oops, spoiler. <laughs> um, you mean the she, guy from 1935 is dead? Um, and she said that he was either worried about something or afraid so obviously he kind of had this uneasy demeanor a scared one and she also said quote he always wanted to kind of keep it uh keep in the dark so once again that dimly lit room he's afraid of something he's traveling lightly they don't know this yet but he's traveling under an alias as well well, it's the same day. It's now 4 p.m. and Mary returns with some fresh towels. The door is unlocked and she walks into the dimly lit room where Roland was laying on the bed fully dressed. Yeah. I imagine he's just flat backing it, just staring at the ceiling. That, I mean, he could be meditating. <laughs> like, doesn't even make eye contact. He's like, just, just tip, put it over there. <laughs> so while in there, she saw a note on the desk that said, quote, Dawn, I will be back in 15 minutes. Wait. End quote. So that's the first day of his stay there. So um, it's now January 3rd. Mary is working again. And at 1030, she comes up to the room to clean it. This time the door was locked. And this I found weird. Uh, but this the, you found weird? The door was locked from the outside. How do you do that? Um, I don't... I don't know, but that sounds like a fucking fire hazard Pat if you ask me. So anyway, needless to say, it's locked from the outside. I'm kind of curious who locks it because, um, well, I can't get into that yet. The door. Well, she um, she just um, shit. I totally lost my train of thought here. You're welcome. The doors being locked from the outside has just really <laughs> fucked me up. Uh, so she kind of wondered, did Roland lock it on his way out? When she goes in to clean, she finds him sitting in the dark. So he's sitting in the dark, locked in this room from the outside. Who in the hell locked the door? And more importantly, why is he sitting in the dark? So she's, of course, straightening up the room again, and this time he's still in the room, but he receives a phone call. He says, quote, No, Don, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. 
I just had breakfast. No, I am not hungry. End quote. So now it is 4 p.m. and Mary brings more towels. As she approaches, she hears two men's voices from inside the room. She knocks on the door and one of the men's voices, and she noted it was a deep voice, says, who is it? She's like, I'm the maid. I'm here with the towels. The dude replies back with, we don't need any. <laughs> Imagine it's just rolling in there, just doing two voices. Who is it? <laughs> He's not hungry because he ate toothpaste that morning. I'm fine. How are you rolling? I'm good. So when cleaning the room earlier, she uh, knew he would need some more towels so that we don't need any was obviously bullshit. Later that night, the woman staying in the next room, 1048, said that uh, she heard a man and woman's voice talking and cussing very loudly. Oh, Roland, you shit. So they're British now? I mean, I think it's just Roland doing <laughs> doing voices in his room. And he's in there. What a lovely tea party. Yeah. Roland, you idiot. So anyway, uh, but actually she was a little unsure because there was a party a room a few rooms down in room 1055 so she wasn't sure if the the voices and the cussing and all that was from room 1046 or if it was from the party and people were spilling Ooh. out over into the hallway Ooh, what do you think cussing, what is cussing like in 1935 i don't know i can't imagine it being too fairly different but it's ah, whatever i bet it's like super wholesome shit like, it's not like cussing today, like 1935, like, you dirty dog was probably uh, hitting below the belt. Possibly. Maybe we should watch some movies that are historically accurate to the <laughs> 30s and see what they do there. Only if there's cussing in it. Well, now it is January 4th, 7 a.m. So it's two days now. The operator, her name is Della Ferguson, she works for the hotel, but the she notices that the phone is off the hook in Roland's room, and it's not because it's being used. So it's obviously just off the hook. And it had been off the hook for a while. This prompted her to send the uh, the bellboy, you know, the useless one that doesn't carry bags, Randolph. Yeah, what the fuck's he doing? Up to room 1046 to see if all was okay. He gets there, and the do not disturb sign is hanging on the doorknob. The door is locked but he still knocks on the door. So he doesn't carry bags and he doesn't listen. Fire him. <laughs> so um, a soft voice said, come in, turn on the lights. No one came to the door or answered it. So the bellboy asked through the door for him to put the phone back on the hook. It's the smartest thing he's done all the <laughs> right? whole, whole, whole couple days there. If I heard... That, I'd be like... Come in and turn on the light. I don't know if I would want to. Could you just put the phone back on the hook, sir? I don't so, want to come in. It's been an hour and a half, and it's now 8.30, and the phone is still off the hook. Come in. Another bellboy, his name's Harold Pike, he went into the room. He said it was dark, but the light from the hall was shining into the room, and he saw that Roland was on the bed naked, and that the sheets and blankets looked to be stained around his body. That's a he, toothpaste. He puts the phone back on the hook and he leaves. 
Does he make eye contact though with Roland? That was, there's a real I don't question. know. I'm sure he just kind of went in. His main goal was to take care of this phone. There's a naked guy with a stained up bed there. I'd put the phone on the hook and get the fuck out too. Do you look at him? I mean, obviously he looked at him if he recognized uh, he, he was naked. He could have peripheral that shit. Like, or you just go in tunnel vision, like put it on the hook. Oh shit, he's naked. He's staring at me. He's put it on the what the fuck is on the bed? <laughs> okay, so. Um, the phone, it's now 1030, 1045. The phone is back off the hook. Pike hands his hands at his <laughs> resignation. Resignation. He's done. So the bellboy Randolph Pike, uh, I'm sorry. Randolph goes, I'm sorry. There's two different bellboys and I only refer to one of them by first name here. There's so. the useless one. Then there's the oh, holy so. shit. Like he actually went into the room one. Okay. So the useless one is Randolph. He goes back up to the room. He opens the door to find and this is exactly what he told police this is a direct quote when i entered the room this man was within two feet of the door on his hands i mean on his knees and elbows holding his head in his hands i noticed blood on his head when i turned on the light i looked around and saw blood on the walls the bed and even in the and in the bathroom this frightened me, and I immediately left the room and went downstairs. End quote. What is so funny about this guy finding blood all over the place? <laughs> I'm the, the Z, well, he, he he says he's frightened, but what what do you think the reaction really was? Like it was a slow like uh, and back out, or was it more like <laughs> um, screaming like a banshee running down the hallway. I'm assuming he kind of maintained himself to not, like, scare other guests on the floor. He clearly doesn't give a fuck. Why would he all of a sudden there? Like, if you rolled into a room where there's where it's a literal bloodbath, and a dude is naked on his knees in front of you, at your feet, within two feet, like, you don't have, that's literally enough to clear the door, and there he is. Man, I didn't say this was, you know, going to make sense. This is just a really... I'm not... I'm not we're not even getting to the thick of this I'm yet. I'm not even saying asking for it to make sense. I'm just telling you why I find it amusing. Then it's like, I'm sure he just ran screaming like a bitch out of there, because I probably would, too. I... He, okay, he ran out of there screaming like a bitch. He's only setting Pike up now from now on. <laughs> so, anyway, Roland was discovered... Uh, they didn't say by who. I'm gonna just. Um, I'm gonna <laughs> assume that he called the police. The police went up there, discovered him. But when he was discovered, regardless of by whom, he was tied up around his neck, wrists, and ankles with a cord. It was apparent he had been beaten, uh, with blood being on the ceiling and the walls. He was hit in the head enough times to fracture his skull. He was stabbed repeatedly in the chest, and he had bruising around his neck. But despite all these extensive injuries, Roland was still alive, but not fully conscious. Do you have a toothbrush? He's like a Rasputin over here. They're just like <laughs> shooting him and drowning him and all this other shit. So he, anyway. He had a glass of wine and said he felt fine. He was questioned by police about who was with him in the room. However, he responded with nobody. He told police, I fell against the bathtub, and then he loses consciousness again 
and he is rushed to the hospital immediately. I mean, I can believe we used we used to live in an apartment complex next to a guy who was constantly having some Final Destination like falls and shit going on. So okay. Um, the doctor said, based off of his injuries he sustained, the injuries happened six to seven hours before he had gotten there, which would explain why the bedding looked stained earlier, kind of a thing. So he was possibly in the midst of that when the dude dude rolled in to put the phone on the hook, like he maybe had started his own ass kicking and concluded. Or maybe it when... somebody was hiding in the room waiting for the bellboy to leave. True. Anyway. Okay, and then it concluded when the other dude came up and he's on the floor in front of the door. Yeah. I'm just I, in my own head. No, right. So I'm not like, like I'm Tell me to... this is true. I'm like, I'm okay, okay. Well, when the police started processing the room, they didn't find any weapons or his personal belongings. However, they did find fingerprints on the phone, which they speculate belong to a woman. But that's only speculation. I'm going to assume that they know that because of maybe the size of the fingerprint, women's hands being smaller than most men. So I was going to say, like, how the hell did they make that determination? I don't know, because it's smaller. Uh, it smells like perfume, clearly woman's hands. It's January 5th after midnight, and Roland dies at the hospital. All right, so we have gone through this whole stay of his at the hotel, him getting beat the fuck up, and now he's at the hospital and dies. So we're going to kind of lay out some facts here because this is just weird. So <laughs> upon checking in at the hotel... He did tell staff that he was from Los Angeles. Well, the L.A. police now get involved, and they were unable to locate any records or missing persons for a Roland T. Owen. Since the police, and this, of course, puts police back at square one. They had a viewing of the body at Melody McGinley Funeral Home here in KC in hopes that someone would come forward with his real ID or some kind of information. Many people came forward thinking it could have been a missing loved one of those, but none of that panned out. So people showed up thinking it could have been a long lost relative or some sh- or some shit, I mean, and they're like, nope, not him. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a relief for the people identifying the body, but then that just sucks for the police. That was probably totally a a means of entertainment in 1935. Like, honey, there's a funeral of this mystery man in town. You want to see if he looks like anyone we used to know? So this brings the investigation to Dawn, the name that's mentioned in the letter that was on the desk, and the phone call about breakfast. But nothing came of this lead either. Well, it's March 3rd, so it's been a couple months. Uh, The Kansas City Journal-Post printed a story about Roland's upcoming burial in a local potter's field, which a potter's field is basically you don't have money to be buried, so they just kind of put you in this big area with other people, and there's really no stones, no nothing like that of any sort. It's kind of sad, but... That's kind of what they did with you if you were a broke ass back in the day. So, um, there's a funny story about a potter's field here in Kansas City, and I'll get into that later. Not really a funny story. Did I say funny? Uh, You mean, you meant hilarious. (laughs) No, I meant like, okay, I think it's a really weird story. But getting back, so they post this pic, uh, this 
nobody comes forward. Um, okay, that's when the funeral home where the body was being held got an anonymous call from a man saying that he wanted Roland to have a proper burial and that he will be sending the money. I'm kind of wondering as many, as long as, as, uh, as much as many other people are, could this call be from Don? <laughs> well, it's now March 23rd and the funeral home receives the money for Roland's arrangements. They receive the money wrapped in a newspaper, and in addition to the money, the funeral home also receives a flower arrangement with a card that says, quote, Love Forever, Louise. Um, however, the caller uh, and the sender of the money and the flowers, all of this has been anonymous at this point. I mean, we have a name Louise, but how, how many Louises are there out there? Tons. We're going to fast forward now to like 1936. So uh, I'm not sure when in 1936, but 1936, there's this lady who lives in Birmingham, Alabama, and her name is Ruby Ogletree. A friend of Ruby's reads this article about the Roland T. Owen case. She shows Ruby the article and the picture of Roland, and she recognizes Roland as her son, Artemis Ogletree. Well, like a picture of him, like in the casket, I imagine. No, there's like um, like a sketch artist kind of did a rendering of him for the article about uh, Do you know this man? Which I will post that on my Instagram and my Facebook as part of my visuals. Anyway. So she notices him and is like, oh, my God, that's my son, Artemis. She says that he left Birmingham two years before in 1934 when he was 17 years old. She goes on to tell that in the spring of 1935. So that brings us to shortly after um, him leaving. I don't know why I said that, but. Um, she goes on to tell in the spring of 1935, she had received three letters from Artemis. Um, here's the thing. He died January 5th, 1935. So these were sent and received after his death. She knew something was up from Jump Street when she opens the letters and she sees that they are typed and they use kind of unfamiliar slang and terminology that she knew he couldn't type and he didn't know this kind of stuff. Not saying he was, you know, stupid, but, you know, <laughs> people didn't always finish their educational process back in the day. So they're showing up after his death. They're conveyed in a manner that he is not familiar with so she just knows something's fishy uh during the investigation police discovered that before staying at the president hotel he stayed at the saint regis which isn't too terribly far you know a few miles uh it was built in 1914 and the building is still around in kansas city however it is an apartment building now and that he was staying with another man. Um, here, we kind of fast forward a little more into the future, and there's this doctor guy named Dr. John Horner who is working with the Kansas City Public Library. He is, I consider him the foremost expert on Artemis Ogletree. 
uh, he published a detailed account about Artemis Ogletree. Uh, well, he ended up getting a call from some anonymous source in the early 2000s. He said the caller claimed that they had newspaper articles about the Artemis murder. The articles were found in a box along with something else they said um, was referenced in the articles, but they never elaborated uh, about what the references were or what the something was. So that, honestly, that just sounds like a, a red herring. Like, why would you fucking call somebody up and be like, look, I found this. I got this, this, and this, but I'm not going to tell you what A, B, and C is. <laughs> I mean, if I could crack this fucking case open or whatever, and I had evidence that was in maybe a uh, deceased loved one's things, hell yeah, I'd be like, it was reference to this, and I have this, and, you know, I would be given the fucking details. <laughs> I know, I know the secret of this. What is it? Well, I can't just tell you. Okay, so there are a number of theories about what happened. Uh, the first theory focuses on Don. And plain and simple, Don beat and killed Artemis in the room and fled the scene. Plain we, and simple. Weird-ass detail, but is do we know a spelling of that Don? Is that like a D-O-N? Or? It's D-O-N. Okay. So it's a man. So was Don the man that was at the first hotel? Because he said he stayed at the St. Regis with another man. So was Don there? Uh, the man with the deep voice that didn't need any towels. Was that Don? Did Don pay for the funeral? The police never found any clues or leads to lead them to any Don. So all of these questions are just unanswered questions that are out there. We don't know if he was the first man, if he paid for it, if, he's, if all of these men are the same man. Well, the second theory also focuses on Don, but Don wasn't alone. This theory was brought up by the elevator operator at the president. His name was Charles Blocker. He was working the night that Artemis was killed. Charles said that the night of the murder he saw, and he describes her as a, quote, commercial woman. Commercial woman. Okay, so I kind of looked into this, and then I looked into some other part of the story, uh, another telling of this story, uh, and some w people would describe a commercial woman as like a professional woman, very nicely dressed, but then I also heard another detail in another telling of the story that she could have been a prostitute. So we'll just say a nicely dressed prostitute. Anyway... He saw a commercial woman get off on the 10th floor. She had dark hair, was about 5'6", and was wearing a coat of black Hudson seal or imitation Hudson seal. Um, and that's a direct quote on the Hudson seal. I did not make that up. Uh, she said that she was meeting a man in room 1026. Charles wondered maybe if she got confused and meant 1046 and that she was going to meet Artemis. Uh, then she was later seen with a man from the ninth floor and they were both about the same weight, same height. So uh, they did find female fingerprints in room 1046 on the phone. So could the commercial woman be the fingerprint woman? 
are they or hell there could be a ton of different women and men according to this story i'm totally lumping a theory together okay so the last option comes from the news over the years that he was murdered for cheating on his fiance so artemis was cheating on his fiance and he gets killed is that just an assumption, or do we know that there was? Do we have any confirmation of of a fiance? Okay, so I'm gonna get a little into this. Okay, we're gonna rewind to the announcement of his funeral that was gonna be at a Potter's Field, and that anonymous caller who offered to send money for the proper burial. Luis. Yes. Well, no, Luis just sent the flowers. Oh, oh, she just sent flowers. So an article in the Newcastle Sun, in uh, this article is called. Uh, Master murder in room 1046 lays out this story. The son says that the woman called the local paper and said, quote, You have a story in your paper that is wrong. Roland Owen will not be buried in a pauper's grave. Arrangements have been made for his funeral. End quote. The paper, uh, the paper asked who she was and what happened to Roland, and she said, quote, Never mind. I know what I'm talking about. He got into a jam, and then she hung up. So, apparently, this person says they've got this story wrong. He got into a jam. Click. That's the end of it. Well, why this call was taking place, a man called the funeral home to say, quote, Don't bury Owen in a pauper's grave. I want you to bury him in Memorial Park Cemetery. Then he will be near my sister. I'll send funds to cover the funeral expenses. End quote. The man went on to explain that he had uh, done his fiance wrong and that in room 1046, Roland, the man, and the cheated on fiance had a quote, little meeting. He ended the call with, Quote, cheaters usually get what coming to them. Click. It's like, oh shit. So, I don't know, man. This cheating thing really has some credence to it. A short time later, the Rock Floral Company that delivered the flowers from Louise, they got a call asking for 13 American Beauty roses sent to Roland Owen's funeral. And that he said uh, when he was sending these flowers, quote, I'm doing this for my sister, end quote. So I'm guessing Roland cheated on his fiance. I think she's dead because he said uh, she'll be he'll be near my sister. So she gets cheated on, possibly kills herself. The brother of the fiance, we'll just call her Betty. Betty's brother, Don, um, is like pissed off because she's cheated on. She gets jilted. She fucking kills herself. So he fucking finds Roland slash Artemis and fucking kills him. And to kind of make things right, I guess good karma on his hands to wash him of Artemis's murder. He pays for his funeral to put Artemis by his sister in Memorial Park Cemetery. That's just kind of my thinking. All right. So I have my own one going in my let's, head. Let's hear your theory because then we're going to get into where I come into this story. I totally think this is a pro wrestler. 
1935. The uh, cauliflower ears totally tipped me off to that kind of thing. I was like, why mention that? Why is that a weird detail in there? It's like, oh, that's totally a pro wrestler's thing. And in 1935, I mean, there is uh, kayfabe is very much alive, so they think shit is real. It's a different style of wrestling. It's a lot of actual like grappling and shooting, uh, rolling around, you know. Cauliflower ears are a common common thing. There is pro wrestlers named Don going on in that time. I looked that up while we were doing this. There was actually shows going on in Los Angeles in the first part of 1935, so that could explain the whole uh, saying from Los Angeles thing. Wrestlers tend to travel together, and some that have CTE, which I think this might be a case, do a lot of weird shit, think there's paranoid things going on, they're very sensitive to light. So travelers, tra- uh, wrestlers traveling together, and they also have a weird brotherhood thing going on of like they're going to be undercover. They don't want people knowing where they are because bad guy wrestlers and up until probably the uh, mid '80s, maybe even the late '80s, people would bring weapons to try to shoot, stab, and assault these guys with. They it was real. So to keep yourself uh, undercover was kind of uh, for your own safety. And yeah, guys would look out for each other. Uh, among their, you know, that brotherhood of, of wrestlers. So I can see that kind of being a thing. And maybe this uh, Luis or this uh, commercial lady, one of them ring rats. Or possibly a manager. Sounds like it could totally be a manager, which in those days, uh, managers were legitimate managers. They would handle bookings, flights, all that stuff. So... I you think know, it's I think it's a pro wrestler that is with some other with another at least one other pro wrestler and he's got some fucking CTE going on. Okay. It explains the blood and the lights. So when you first started laying this out, uh-huh. I was thinking this is the stupidest shit that I've heard in connection to this. Now you're on board, right? But now it's like the more you kept talking and the lights and the CTE and this and that, it's right? like Oh shit! This this sounds like it could be legit. We, I want to go Occam's Razor. I we do. just cracked this fucking case. Is what we I did. want to truly believe Occam's Razor that he Artemis was seeing somebody. He cheated her, or she thought she was cheated somehow. Big brother of cheated girlfriend fucking kills him. End of fucking story. I think the pro wrestling angle is just as Occam's Razor as yours. I mean, that's a lot of factors to go into it, but um, so was so was the other ones. Uh, but I'll have to say, it's a really re- damn good theory. Thank and you. And it has some credence behind it. Thank you. So. And also, they run razors, you know, blood. And stuff. I don't know how much that is. A, a ra- running the razor is an actual thing in 1935, but blood, not an uncommon thing at all. All right. Okay, so now we are at October 2018. Um, I love good unsolved mysteries, and I thought... Boy, howdy do you. When I heard this story, I thought, oh man, it'd be kind of cool if I could get like a photo of his headstone, because I do, as well as a band of photography, I also do cemetery photography, and I thought it'd just be really cool to have this one, because I have like um, a couple of famous people. Uh, When we went to Louisville, I ended up getting Muhammad Ali and Colonel Sanders, their graves were pretty cool. And then here locally, jazz great Charlie Parker, or also known as Bird, he's buried here in KC. So I have photographed his grave and I thought it'd be cool to kind of add Artemis Ogletree. Actually, 
he would be buried under Roland T. Owen because he wasn't identified until after he was buried in 1936. They're not changing that shit afterwards. and like, it's done. Right. Okay, so um, based on the call saying bury him in Memorial Park, uh, like I said, I wanted to get a headstone photo. Uh, there are two Memorial Park cemeteries in Kansas City, one on the Kansas side, one on the Missouri side. It is listed as the Kansas side, but I wanted to check both just to make sure because with Find a Grave, all of that information is done by volunteers, so it may not always be 100% credible. So I went to the Missouri side first, and the office ladies were so kind and helpful. I told them the whole story, and they got out their record books from 1934 to 1936, and we flipped through everything. There was nothing, so we looked through two years of, three years of books, really, to no avail. Well, a short time later, I made it to Memorial Park on the Kansas side, and first of all, shout out to the manager there, Ron Carter Sr. This guy is kick-ass beyond belief. He was so nice. I think it's on his name badge. And we end up, we pull this guy in. When I say we, my friend Michelle was with me at the time. So anyway, he humored me through this whole entire visit. I tell him again the whole story of Roland T. Owen slash Artemis Ogletree. He did some looking up uh, in the names because uh, they, you know, have a computer system of the whole layout of the cemetery, and it actually did pop up. So he tells me that Artemis is actually, sorry, Roland, is buried in the oldest section of the cemetery. And he's buried under the name Roland T. Owen, like I said, because he was buried in 1935. His mom, Ruby, wouldn't identify him till 1936. Um, however, in the comments section of the Excel spreadsheet of the cemetery layout, it says, and I will post a picture of this too, uh, it says Roland T. Owen. Actually, it says Rollin, R-O-L-L-I-N, Owen. Rollin, Rollin, Rollin. Anyway, and in the comment section next to it, it says, quote, right name, Artemis Ogletree. So at this point, I have Ron convinced to help me go find this headstone so I can take a photo. However, and I respect this because, you know, privacy and I'm sure he had his reasons and I respect it. But I also asked him if I could continue to look through the Excel spreadsheet of that particular section because he, okay, this is where it's like, I, 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 I want to figure out who the fuck Don is. And I think I can figure it out with looking at the names in there. I would have been looking for, okay, I hope this doesn't come out like a racist assumption, but I was going to look for an Italian woman's name and an Italian woman who died in her early, no later than her late 20s. So I just kind of wanted to see all the names of the people in this section because not everybody who's buried in this section has a stone, but they are on record. So anyway, like I said, he wouldn't let me do that based on privacy, and I respect it. So anyway, um... We get to the oldest section of the cemetery, and based on the spreadsheet, we find the stones that are in line with Roland T. Owen. 
we get there, there's no stone. So he's kind of on an incline at the base of a tree, and it's been since 1935. So uh, I said, there's probably been a little bit of erosion from, you know, the slight incline. He's like, okay, I'll go back and get a shovel. <laughs> coming back with a shovel. So he ends up coming back with this shovel, and we're kind of digging at the base of this tree. Not we're digging, he's digging. You're uh, watching him dig. Right, and I have pictures of this too. When I say digging, we're not like, I'm, you know, digging trenches. We're just... I'm totally picturing some burb shit where like Rick Dukeman's like, that was solid, that was metal, you had something metal, you had a crypt, you had a fit, you had a crypt, we found Walter! Well, he just scrapes away a few inches of the mud in the place where the headstone should be. So I'm not certain if he ever had a headstone or if it was stolen at a later date. I'm going to assume that they kind of just paid for the funeral. There was no arrangements about a stone. And if there was, I don't know, I'd like to think that those details would have been discussed and given to us if they can tell us oh this money's wrapped up in a newspaper and it went to this particular person and they got these kind of flowers and we have all these details but there's no mention of a stone i'm guessing there was no stone from jump street well anyway so however the stone it wouldn't actually be needed because if the person who paid for it wanted if anybody in conjunction with him wanted to go see Roland T. Owen's grave, they could pretty much kind of get the distinctive information from Don, which he's buried in kind of a distinctive spot. One, we know he's in the oldest section of the cemetery. Two, he is at the base of a tree. There are only like two or three trees within the section so finding him wouldn't be hard and then all he would have to do is tell oh you want to visit him he's next to so and so so we really don't need a stone to find out where he is we pretty much know where he is without a stone so this is when i take my findings and i call dr john horner <laughs> Yes, I get this guy on the phone. I'm like, hey, you know, I know you're like the Artemis Ogletree foremost expert. And I did a little digging of my own. So he did seem intrigued when we spoke over the phone. Uh, he gave me his email. I sent over my findings, which was basically the pictures of the Excel spreadsheet, Ron digging in the cemetery, and me and my friend Michelle with Ron at the cemetery. So it wasn't like, you know, there was a scientific archaeological dig that proved anything. But we did go to him with our findings. Uh, and I never heard a response back uh, to that. I assume, uh, I would like to think that even though I never heard a response, that I added another page to his research in this case. Because I also told him, I was like, if we could just find out the names of the people in that section, I feel like we could be another step close to cracking this. <laughs> I really, I really feel positive that if 
I should have bribed him. I should have gave him like 20 bucks and been like, hey, go to the bathroom for a few minutes. <laughs> go and have an Eskimo pie or something. No one's asking you to do something wrong. Right. And I just wanted to look at the names, like maybe take a couple of screenshots, you know, click, click, and then turn the you're, computer monitor back. You're what's his name from uh, Road Trip there? Ruben. Ruben, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not against or above bribing somebody i understand bribery is all right the housewife of horrors book (laughs) i mean to get a little information about something that happened like almost a hundred fucking years ago go to grease in the palms so anyway i'm stonewalled i would love to actually get the names of the people in this section uh we didn't have 20 bucks and i'm not sure when she died i assume it's somewhere close to his time frame of death but that still leaves a lot of archived obituaries to go through that just i mean it could be done but who's gonna pay for all those archived newspapers i mean if you do that shit online you gotta pay for that stuff especially with kansas city like the kansas city star at that time the kansas city journal post all of kansas city's newspapers are a pay service you get nothing free with these fucking people uh, you got may have to. Like, there's no such thing as a thriving newspaper industry in 2022. I get it. I get it. So, anyway, this brings us to the end of Artemis Ogletree, Roland T. Owen, at the President Hotel. Ooh, actually, it doesn't. Um, I had a friend, uh, a gal pal of mine, who does urban exploration photography. Her shit is fire. If you're ever on Instagram, check out Documenting Decay. And she has just amazing photography. Well, her and her boyfriend, uh, they stayed there. It was probably back around 2018, 2019. And, um, that was a whole world ago. Right. And the hotel had been remodeled at that point, And they were told that the n- rooms were renumbered. So room 1046 back in the day is not the same as it is today. So the room... Uh, I'd never found out, like, you know, why they renumbered the rooms. I'm sure the lore had something to do with it. But yeah, but I mean, that's a tourist attraction now. Now you would advertise that shit. Um, maybe they don't want that kind of attention. Oh, I guess they must not like money and fame. So I did some looking up, and I did find out that it says here, quote, additional renovations were completed in 2017. These renovated... Oh, these renovations included all guest rooms and meeting rooms. The acclaimed presidential suite and Reagan suites were renovated in 2019. So the the hospital, the hotel has gone under like a couple of different renovations over the years. And yeah, the rooms aren't what they used to be. So if you think you're staying in room 1046, you could be, but probably not. Hmm. And uh, that brings us to the end of this case. Once again, I think he was a traveling man because he's from Birmingham. Now he's up in Kansas City claiming to be from L.A. 
I mean, he's working different wrestling territories. It's whole different <laughs> territories between those three different states alone. And some wrestlers, i.e., Owen Hart, used to be called the King of Carry On. Didn't travel with a lot of shit. Didn't want to carry a lot of stuff because you lose a lot of shit when you're traveling from place to place. As more credence to my, he's a fucking wrestler. You know what? I think I feel like I want to call Doctor John Horner. Is he a wrestler? And be like, Doctor John Horner, <laughs> you have to talk to my husband. He has something to say, and it really is a good theory. Like this could be a fourth theory added to this. <laughs> he's a shooter. But I, I wrestler or not, but I think he got involved with the wrong people. It cost him his life. Most wrestlers do, at least then. <laughs> and um, put him in the old tree lock. And I think that the secrets are in the oldest section of the cemetery of Memorial Park Cemetery in KCK. The answers are there, but due to privacy laws or I don't know if they're laws or not. I mean, I respect his decision not to give laws me that information. <laughs> yeah, those damn ethics. So anyway, this brings us to the end of this case. Thank you for listening along. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Housewife of Horrors, where I do add visual aids to each case. If we do any, uh, which we do lots of listener requests, I like to give you a shout out. So um, if you have any listener requests, please feel free to drop me a line. I got a couple waiting in line. I couldn't wait to do this case. This was one of my favorites, and I'm so glad that I finally got to do this. <laughs> um, and I really, really love that wrestler theory. I'm, Thank you. I'm stuck on that because that just, it does make sense. It's like, wow. And usually you would think, oh, it's too coincidental with all these things matching up all these factors, but... When you match up all those factors that you brought up, it sure makes a lot of sense. What do you guys think? Uh, feel free to leave me a comment if you think Evil's theory has credence or if he's just fucking wacko. I mean... Uh, he's both, really. No, I, I only speak the truth. <laughs> and um, I come here to solve cases, and I think I did that today. And see, I thought the answers would all be in the oldest section of the cemetery. Nope. I just in. need to find out who the sister is. If I can find out who she is and she has a relative named Dawn, fucking case solved. I'm telling you, it's this easy. I nah, just it's need never, to see. It's never that easy. Whatever. I think if I got to see those names, this wouldn't it would even be, be a another, con- It'd be another rabbit hole. You'd be going down a whole other avenue. And you'd be Whatever. like, oh my God, it's another <gasps> onion. It's it, This is an onion of a case. I You peel back the layers and, and there's just another layer of what the hell so thank you for listening along if you have a suggestion feel free to drop it to me if not that's okay too just and keep listening yeah just keep, keep listening uh, i appreciate all the love support suggestions and you won't offend her with cash <laughs> you can send me that too um that'd be sweet well anyway uh thank you all and uh we will get back to you next episode listener request another one of my favorites i don't know man we got some good stuff on the list stay tuned